Welcome to the Branches Podcast. Following the lead of Jesus, we seek to embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hope they find holy ground. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about the reckless love of Jesus or our community of faith, please visit our website at branchesoc.com. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for taking the time to greet each other and a greeting that I haven't gotten yet. <laughs> Good to see you, bro. Miss you, brother. I know. Uh, I honestly say, you guys do a better job of greeting each other than almost any church that I go to. So good job on the greeting. And you could, I wonder one Sunday if you just kept going and nobody interrupted you, like how long you'd really go all afternoon. That'd be awesome to see. <coughs> Excuse me. My name is Michael Bischoff. Uh, I get to come around branches occasionally and hang out with you, which I really love. And you're feeling like family, even though I only see you a few times a year at most. But it's good to be back today in the midst of this series, Your Verse. So the ushers have some of these little cards to pass out to you with our verse of the day, 2 Corinthians 5.17. So as those come around, grab one of those. Grab one of those. This is the third week in this series, which what an awesome idea to think about what are some of the verses from the Bible that might be some of the most important, profound, life-changing, impactful, influential truths that you could ever put your mind on. Uh, and that's what this series is about. At least I think so. I wasn't here the last two weeks, but being here in week three, I realized as I was preparing for this today that some of you probably really need a verse right now to encourage you. You really need something to encourage you. For some reason, for me, Branches has been this church that I get to come, like I said, a few times a year and speak here, but it's been in the midst of a few years for myself personally of a lot of transition, a lot of discouragement, a lot of pain. Some of those stories I've shared with you when I've come, I was reflecting on that this week, like, wow, what do I need Scripture for? And I realized I've shared with you a story that for the last two and a half years, I've been watching my mom die a long, slow death uh, with dementia going through a stroke and then going increasing stages of dementia. A couple weeks ago, she didn't know who my son was. I'll probably be next. That's really hard to see. The last year, our ministry, Soul Leader, some of you know about, we've been helping a church in the midst of a pastoral transition, trying to seek a new pastor. It's a 30-year-old church. Um, and for over a year, we've been working on this. They've had 14 staff transitions in the midst of this year, and they still don't have a new lead pastor. And some people are going like, why is there still no lead pastor here? And people are starting to leave, and they're frustrated, and it's hard sometimes just to be the church. Our team with Soul Leader, this ministry that I started 17 years ago, I love what we do, and we have a number of team members. We've had five people come check us out this year to be part of the team, and then go, no, I just don't think that's a good fit, and then they just leave. And that was really discouraging. Last week I found out, and I kind of knew this was coming, that one of our ministry's biggest supporters was going away. And I found out just last week that in January our support will be $2,200 a month less than it has been up until now. Financial worries and financial pressure. And if I were to be really honest with you this morning, which, which I try to be, I think 
in my own soul, I probably feel closer to burnout than I ever have. Now, that's not good because I'm like the guy that started a ministry to help other leaders not burn out. And so, honestly, when I look at that, I'm like, well, man, I'm just human too. And I need hope. I need help. I need encouragement. So, the one place I know I've always found it, I've been doing this thing for 40, over 40 years now with Jesus, is in this book, this Bible. And it's a little bit different today, you know, because many of you probably don't have this leather Bible you can just like pull out because it's on your device. And it feels a little weird to like hold your phone close to your heart. You know, people might think that's a little weird. But there's something about when I look at my Bible and I, and I can open it, touch it, and look and see what I underlined and where pages are kind of dog-eared and places I've spent a lot of time and scripture I've memorized and occasionally maybe even some wrinkled pages for some tears that are there, that that means more to me than almost anything else, that God's truths are in this book. Do you believe that? God's truths are in this book. And if you don't, hang on, because maybe this series will help you see that a little bit more in some deeper ways. I really believe that, and I know I need it. I need it deeply. We all need it deeply. And so as we look at these verses together, know that God's truths are there just waiting for you and me to be able to, no matter what the hard challenges are in your life, no matter what it is you're facing, daily, weekly, monthly trials that come and challenges that come, God wants to be there for you. So here's this verse that we've chosen for today, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Really significant verse. Let's read it out loud together, just as you look at the screen. Let's read it out loud together from the screen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Thank you. Theologian N.T. Wright says of this verse, one of the great summaries of what Christianity is all about. That's a pretty impactful statement. A great summary of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is all wrapped up in that verse. I like that. It lets me know why that's so important. This verse was written to a church, this church at Corinth, that was really a messed up, screwed up, dysfunctional church. This is a picture in the city of Corinth of the Temple of Apollo, of what it looks like today. And I think it's kind of significant of what it looks like today because this was a city in ancient times that had a lot of issues. They were probably the most dysfunctional church in the New Testament in terms of what we know because there's two books written to it, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. There might have even been a third and a fourth book that we don't even have today. But that's encouraging to know because we realize that it's not about being perfect people. The church is not about trying to figure out how to be perfect. It's about healing. And the church is in the healing business. And followers of Jesus are about banding together and figuring out how to be community together to be in the healing business together. And in this book of 2 Corinthians that this verse is in that we're talking about today, Paul, who wrote it, the Apostle Paul, gives us this theology of ministry. In other words, he looks at his own life because he chose... And he was like a persecutor of Christians, and he was really messed up, and he decides, he, he just meets the Lord and has this amazing experience, and then lines up his life behind Jesus to figure out what does it mean to apply Jesus to his life. And he has a way of seeing things, and in this book, maybe more than any other book that he wrote, and he wrote more books in the New Testament than anyone else did, what do you need to pay attention to? What do you need to give your life to? So he gives us... Um, 
these different metaphors. Because this was a church, and he understood so many things. It was a church that was divided over its leaders. There was incest going on in the church. There was sexual immorality going on in the church. There were lawsuits among believers. They were suing each other. There was food that was sacrificed to idols, and they couldn't figure out whether to eat it or not. There was the Lord's Supper or communion as we know it, but people weren't just taking it. They were turning it into love feasts and like selfish kind of orgies. And like everybody was just selfishly taking all the stuff that they wanted and making it into something it was never meant to be. They were abusing spiritual gifts. They were trying to control worship and what that looked like. And into that, Paul comes along and says, no, no, no. You got to see things a different way. You got to see things a very, very different way. And he gives some analogies. He gives some analogies. At the beginning of this verse is this word, therefore, okay? And whenever a word, therefore, is there, you have to figure out why it's there, what came before it, and what is it referring to. So let me just give a little quick review of some of these analogies or metaphors that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians. He talks about a smell, a letter, a veil, some jars, and a tent, okay? Before we get to this verse, he gives you these analogies. So let's, let's look at them one at a time because I think they're significant and help you understand uh, what it is that Paul's talking about here when we get to our verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17. First is the smell, the smell. He says, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. Now, now, what is that about? This sense of smell? It was referring to the Roman empires and their armies that would um, gather out in battle and then they would return and they would gather these like incense bushes and then they would burn them on their way back to the city. And if they were doing that, you knew it was the smell of victory. And that smell would arrive before they did. Because the wind would take it and bring that smell into a city as the marching armies would come back. So here's a question for you and I. How do you smell? How do I smell? What aromas coming off of our life? Back in that day too, ancient times, everyone kept a jar of perfume in their house. Because if somebody died, the body would decay really fast and you wouldn't want that kind of smell in your house. So you had to have perfume to cover it up. What's the aroma that's coming off of your life? What's the smell that people sense coming? What's the smell that exudes from this building on a Sunday morning as people are out on the beach or they're kayaking or they're paddleboarding or they're doing whatever? There's a sense of smell. Paul understands the use of senses. I think that's an interesting one. He goes on and talks about a letter. He says, you yourselves, talking to this church again, in Corinth, you yourselves are a letter, our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. So what does that mean? Each one of our lives, are, we are writing a letter in people's hearts. Uh, we're, we're making a lasting impression. Whether you know it or not, the things you do, the words you say to each other are making a lasting impression. Question, what words are you writing on people's hearts. What words are you writing on people's hearts? Then there's this third one, a veil, a veil. He says, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. Um, and this goes back to an Old Testament story where Moses went up on the mountain and he got so close to God that it tells us that he glowed. He glowed. 
It's interesting because the word glory has the word glow in it. There was a sense of glow. And he wanted to keep it so he covered himself so he would keep the glow of God on him. Question, does Jesus make you glow? Does Jesus make you glow? You know what I mean by that? And the good news is this. If Jesus makes you glow, you don't have to cover it. There's enough glory to go around. But how much glow is coming off of you? Then there's this next one, and this one might be my favorite one. In terms of our ministry soul leader, we use this verse a lot and talk about it. In fact, I think I've even done it here with you guys. Um, in 2 Corinthians 4, it says, but we have this treasure. God has given us so, so much. We have this treasure, though, in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. In other words, we've got a lot of good stuff, but we've got these bodies that hold it, and our bodies are really fragile. They're really fragile, and they're broken, and they're easily fragmented. And he refers to them as jars, or in some translation, earthen vessels, jars of clay. Question, how are you taking care of your jar? How are you taking care of that vessel? How are you taking care of your body? You're fragile. And Paul wants you to remember that and to know that. And then there's this last one, the tent. He says, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. And really, our bodies have a way of getting in the way. I don't know if you think about it this way, but if you look at your body and it as it decays over time and it ages and it's harder to do things that you once did, it's harder to think and remember things that you once could remember. Do you ever feel bad about that? Ever feel some guilt or just get down? Um, maybe even affects your self-esteem in some ways. Or maybe this way, we think of our tent, that thing that covers us as our role. Maybe it's your job title or your position. And that's easily lost and that's easily taken away. Layoffs happen all the time, job transitions, sometimes your company, your boss, or whoever puts pressure on you. How are you doing with your tent? How are you doing with your role? Maybe the lesson is we need to learn is how to wear our roles more loosely. We can't hang on to that, which is temporary. So all those things are wrapped up when Paul gets to this verse and he says, therefore, because of all those things, everything wrapped up in those five analogies that we just went through, if anyone is in Christ, and let's talk about that for a second. He gets to the place, if anyone is in Christ, so, so what does that mean? What does that mean? It sounds pretty important to be in Christ, right? I'm trying to think, what does that mean? Is that like something like this? Like, you know, your picture is like in there somewhere, so you're literally in Christ? Is that what he's talking about? Or is it about, you know, wearing a cross or getting a cross tattoo, putting a bumper sticker on your car? Is it about being a church member, getting baptized? What does it mean to be in something? Okay? Because if I don't know what it means to be in, I'm not sure I'm going to understand what it means to be in Christ. I was thinking this week, because I got something in the mail from this organization called Greenpeace. You guys, how many people know who Greenpeace is? Most people have heard, yeah, a lot, right? And this feels, this feels a little weird because I know this is like one of these organizations that are a little bit divisive, right? Conservative people are like, Greenpeace, seriously? What's going on? And then there's people that are just like, what? You're not a member of Greenpeace? So I figured this would be like a safe environment to do a little confession <laughs> with you guys. Um, 
So every time I'd go to like Irvine Spectrum Mall, because I live down in Foothill Ranch, like forest area, and I'd go to Irvine Spectrum Mall a lot, a lot of meetings, a lot of lunches and stuff like that, these Greenpeace folks were there. And so every time I'd walk through and they'd try to talk to me and I'd be like, no, later, you know, I don't want to talk to you. But one day I was just feeling like maybe I should just listen to this story. And I, and I was kind of realizing I, I don't do a very good job caring about the earth. And maybe these people have something to say about that. So... I think I'll talk to them and sit down. So this young girl was there. She seemed so passionate, so excited to talk to me about that. And uh, I just thought they were there to try to get donations and whatever it was. And so since I wasn't doing anything, I thought, okay, sure. So we sat down. For 20 minutes, she poured out her heart to me about creation and the earth. Now, that was interesting because I hadn't had someone that was following Jesus do that with me before, and yet this girl was more passionate about the earth that I knew God created than any Christian that I had talked to before. So we sat there for a while as she shared her heart and her passion and her sincerity and even her tears. And it was a pretty moving experience to learn about what's going on in our earth with pictures that she shared with me. And so at the end, I'm sitting there going, well, I'm not really doing anything about the earth right now, and I maybe probably should do something. So I said, how can I help? And she's like, well, here's how you can help. You can sign up for this. So I signed up for Greenpeace. And when I did that, she gave me a hug. Now, now, how often are you sitting at a mall, you talk to someone that you think is just trying to get money, and they cry with you, share their passion, and they give you a hug? Well, I signed up, and I signed up, and I got mail from them right away. Um, I got phone calls from them. I got a member card from them. You even, some of you know this, if you sign up, you get a code word. You get a code word, because then when you go to places and there's Greenpeace volunteers and you don't want them hounding you, you just say, I'm in. I'm a member. And they're like, what's the code word? And you say like, duck-billed platypus. And they're like, yeah, you're one of us. You're in. You're part of the deal that is like, it's like, I don't know, like 18 million members worldwide or something like that. And they know that you're in. And so I, something happened funny a couple weeks ago. I was kind of looking at our budget and realizing like, the amount that we've been giving to places, maybe I need to prioritize that. It's good to think about, good to pray about where you give your money. So I'm like, you know, I've been giving to Greenpeace for a couple years, and, and maybe it's time to change. So I'm like going online and go to the website, and I'm trying to unsign up. I'm trying to stop giving to Greenpeace. There is no place to unsign up for Greenpeace. I'm stuck giving for life. There's no way out. And I'm going, what's going on? And so this week in the mail, I got a card to join the Summer of Resistance with Greenpeace. And if any of you want to go in Los Angeles, it's July 22 and 23, because I'm in. And I think I'm supporting it, because I can't stop supporting it. But I look at the earth a little bit differently, because I'm in. And and I pick up trash on the beach when I'm on a beach. And this morning, as I just even looked at the harbor, I'm like, do I want to swim in that water? And this organization's doing something, hopefully, to make a difference. Honestly, I don't even know all the things that they do. I just wanted to make a difference in the earth and in creation. I own two hybrid cars. That kind of helps a little, but it's not enough. But the one thing I realized about Greenpeace, I'm in. 
I'm in. They know I'm in, and they're not letting me go. And I thought, you know, that's not too bad of an example of what it means to be in Christ, to be completely in. He's not letting you go. He's not letting you go. And while it's not about giving money, don't take me wrong with that, to, to be in, there's something about being in that you know you belong. And when you're part of a community, like for you guys, it's hopefully branches is your community, you know you're in, right? Because you're hugged. The same way Esh came and gave me that hug on stage awkwardly right before I was going to speak. You're in because you're loved. And they're not going to let you go no matter what goes on in your life. That's, I think, what it means to be in Christ. At least this week, that was the best I could figure out what it meant to be in Christ. The verse goes on. And if you're in, if you're in, the new creation has come. The new creation has come. Now, some of you are going, that sounds awesome. I want to be part of this new creation. But what does that look like? Because for me, if I think of my own body or whatever, I look and I'm like, I'm not sure I see new creation. Um, when I realize what I used to look like in my 20s, and then there's 30s, and then there's 40s, and then you get to 50s, and it's more like this, and if it keeps going, you know, the evolutionary cycle continues downward. Or this famous picture of Arnold. Is that... <laughs> New creation on the left, and what happens on the right? Some of you have probably seen that picture. It's been around quite a while. I started thinking of my own body, and I'm like, Lord, I, I want this new creation, but if I think of all the parts of my body, what's going on with that? If I think of my hair, I started going gray at 18. I was plucking out gray hairs at 18, and then I look, and now when I look in the mirror, I'm like, man, there's hair missing back there. Where the heck is it going? It's coming out my ears, right? So I got to pluck the hair out of my ears. So now the hair that used to be up there, there's something wrong because it doesn't know to grow up there in the same way. And it comes, the gray hairs come out the ears and other places that shall remain nameless. And my eyes, heavy, right? I got to wear glasses now. I didn't used to have to wear glasses to see certain things. So my eyes are struggling. If I think of my nose, I got a deviated septum in my nose so I can breathe only good out of one side of my nose and not the other side of my nose. If I think of my mouth, I had braces for four years to fix crooked teeth. Where the heck is the new creation teeth, you know? Wisdom teeth? The doctor yanked those. I didn't even have a chance to use those. They yanked them before I got a chance to use them. I got tonsils that I had surgery when I was 20 years old. They pulled out my tonsils, did such a bad job, they grew back. My tonsils are still messed up. I'm serious. I have this stuff called cryptic debris that oozes out of my tonsils that I have to squeeze out. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's disgusting. But it's what I have to do, and the tonsils stay in my mouth. I work my way down my body, and I think about, you know, the ailments and stuff that are there, and I'm like, God, is this new creation? What's going on? I, I, I have trouble breathing. In, in, I have seasonal allergies, and I wheeze all summer long. Sometimes I have to use an inhaler because it's, it mimics asthma for me, and I've got those kinds of issues. And I go down, I have a bad back. I had an intervertebral ligament tear in my back when I was in my 20s as well from playing volleyball. and gives me back pain sometimes. I have bad knees because I have congenital knees that dislocate all the time, and I've dislocated my knees tons of times, and I'm like, God, are you, are you tracking with me a little here? Where is the new creation? Please, please. And then I realized, well, maybe that's not what this is talking about yet. 
I think one day God's going to set everything back to rights and he's redeeming all of creation, both this earth and our bodies, and that's the good news. But maybe now this verse is talking about something really different. And maybe we focus too much on the lower part of the screen, our body, the material, when in reality we need to be realizing that it's the immaterial that has a new creation going on right now. That our soul is the thing that holds all of that together. And if we were to have a hope, it's the hope that realizes that the immaterial part of ourselves can be completely redeemed, bought back, made right, made new. And that's what this is talking about. It's the internal aspects. This body, it says in other places in the Bible, is wasting away, is wasting away. But the good news is, you know, if you follow Jesus, your body's going to be redeemed. You're going to get a new body. That new body's going to live in a new heaven and a new earth, which is awesome. Read the last two chapters of the Bible if you want to check that out. And there's going to be a hope in that, just not now. So those ailments and those things that we go through, that's tough stuff, right? The fact that your body can attack itself and your lungs like Boog's journey, that's tough stuff. Where, how do we live in that with these bodies that are just kind of falling apart to know that there's an immaterial part, this soul that wraps it all up that's just awesome? That's good news. That's good news. So the end of the verse goes on. It says, the old has gone. The old has gone. The old what? Body? Well, we know that's not the case. So the old body's not gone. So if that's not gone, and, and this is a really important point. Some of you need to catch this because this verse has been used in the church a lot and many of you have probably even heard this to just say, hey, if you become a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, your past and your old life shouldn't affect you anymore because it's gone. The old is completely gone. That's not what this verse is saying. And let me tell you why. That verse is often used to even guilt people into thinking that if you still have issues, if you've still got struggles, if you've still got addictions or problems, you're messed up. Well, good news is we're all messed up. We need healing, and that's what Jesus is here to do. So the old is gone. If it doesn't mean our old body is gone, it also doesn't mean that all your past is gone. If it means that, then Paul would have been a hypocrite because when he wrote this, he spent most of the first part of 2 Corinthians talking about his past. So don't, what I'm trying to say is don't feel guilty if you have to pay attention to things from your past, your family of origin, friendships, issues, struggles that you've had. I'm not saying don't do anything about them. No, do something about them. Jesus has resources for them. But to not feel guilty that you still have to pay attention to what's coming out of that place. You'll still have issues. When I struggled with this whole deal of our ministry losing support, like I mentioned, financial support, I first felt incredible anxiety. I was like having like almost near anxiety attacks and then I felt incredible fear and then I went into depression. Those are issues that we will still struggle with. Don't make yourself bad because of those things. That verse is not saying all of that stuff is past. What it is talking about, catch this, the old life, the old life that you once lived, your focused inward kind of life, your desire for evil kind of life, the kind of life that has no eternal perspective, no eternal perspective, that you now have a continual, ongoing, daily potential for renewal. That's what it's talking about. Does that make sense? That's so important to understand. You've got a chance to live in new ways, to be in Christ, 
and the old is gone, that old part of your life, but you'll still struggle. And I, want, and I say that as clearly as I can because sometimes when we struggle, we're like, this God thing maybe doesn't work because I'm still struggling and someone told me that all, all that old stuff should pass away and it doesn't. And I feel like, man, that's just a bunch of, it's not true, it's not true. That's not the case. And once again, this passage ends with this phrase, the new is here. The new is here. So what is the, Paul saying, he's saying the new is available to you right now, right now. It's here and it's available to you right now. It makes me think like when I have magazine subscriptions and I come in and um, my tendency is, I, I'm this kind of obsessive compulsive person and whenever I have magazines, they'll kind of pile up and I have this thing, I need to read them in order. And so if I've got a magazine and I got an old one, I got to read the old one before I read the new one. Any relate to that? So that's what it's talking about. He's saying, no, 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 forget it. Just throw away the old ones and get to the new one. Because new news probably replaces the old news. The new is here. Jesus said it this way. Whenever Jesus taught and he talked about the kingdom of the heavens or the kingdom of God, he would always say, the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. That's another way of saying the kingdom of heavens is right here. It's right sitting here among you. When you go home today, it's on your way. It's, on your way. it's in your neighborhood when you're hanging out with a group of people, it's in the midst of you. It's in the 15 feet of space that surrounds you. The kingdom of heaven is right here. And that's what this is saying. That newness, that accessibility to God in his kingdom is right here, right now. Eugene Peterson in the message puts it this way. Not to confuse you with another translation, but I love the way he says it. He says, now we look inside and what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start. That's the newness, okay? A fresh start is created new. The old life is gone. A new life burgeons. Look at it. It's not a word we use very often, right? A new life burgeons. It's right there. It's available. It's, it's accessible. It's ready to sprout and grow and bear fruit exactly what he's, say, he's saying. Some of you kind of wonder, like, you know, I need to feel that sometimes. I need a fresh start. I need a fresh start. And sometimes we need examples of what that looks like. Friend of mine, some of you probably know, uh, Neil Anderson, Pastor Neil and Casey Anderson. Neil was a pastor at Coast Bible Church in San Juan Capistrano up till last summer. And Neil was at this place on his journey, he and his wife Casey both, where they realized they were just stuck. They were just in this place in life that things didn't seem like they were working. And even in the midst of ministry, he was tired and he was burnt out and he was feeling frustrated and he needed a new start, a fresh start. So he spent some time researching what to do and where to go. And he picked Knoxville, Tennessee. And he announced to all of his friends and his church that he was resigning his job and moving to Knoxville, Tennessee. Well, this was so interesting to me. My wife and I had to say, what the heck is in Knoxville, Tennessee? So we went to visit him this year to see what's in Knoxville, Tennessee. And honestly, nothing is in Knoxville, Tennessee. <laughs> nothing real special, at least to see. But I realized it's not about the external. There was something internal going on within Neil and Casey that just had to make a choice to do something different. He knew there was a new life that was burgeoning. There was something that he wasn't experiencing pastoring here in San Juan Capistrano that he knew would 
be available if he picked up his entire family, them and their three kids, and moved over to that place. And that's exactly what happened. I spent some time talking with him this week, and after over a year of just processing and thinking and praying and looking for the new life that God would bring, he's found it. There's a new life in him. But that even required sacrifice, massive sacrifice, to take their kids out of school, to leave their friends, to leave their church community, and move all the way across country to Tennessee because that's where he believed God wanted him. And I believe God did want him there, and he made that choice. And I share that example mainly just as a means of sacrifice that you can see sometimes if you're going to follow what God wants for your life, you might have to make some drastic changes. This new life is available to you. The old, yeah, your old life has passed away. You're going to still have memories and challenges and temptations and struggles that are with you along the way. And that's what a church community is about. But it might mean you have to go, what changes do I need to make? What do I need to pay attention to that might need to change? Know that if that's where you are, God's going to walk with you throughout that whole process, every single step of the way. He's not going to leave you alone. Because if anybody is in Christ, in and you're in for good. You are a new creation, a new creature, it says in some translations. Old stuff, gone. New stuff is available to you. Father, help us to know what this means for our life. Uh, I, I'm sure there's like a different way to apply this to each one of us, each one of our hearts, each one of our families the challenges that we all face. <clears throat> if we were to spend the next 10 or 15 or 20 minutes or an hour unpacking that with people around us to listen to our story and where the challenges are about what's going on in our lives, we would hear radically different stories. But God, thank you for meeting each one of us in this place. So help us to take this card this week with 2 Corinthians 5.17 on it and read it over and over and over and dwell on it. Let it sink into our minds to know that because of what Jesus has done, we can be in Christ, in Jesus, live our lives completely filled up with a passion to live in the kingdom of the heavens and to know what it means to live still in the midst of brokenness but with new life available to us. What good news that is great news that that is, Father. I pray that you would help us to understand that in the deepest ways. In Jesus' name, amen. First of all, if you're in Christ, you have to be in Christ. If you don't know what it means to be in Christ, um, find someone to talk to. Come talk to me. Come talk to, I don't know, someone that you came with, someone next to you. To be able to experience the beauty of a new creation, you need to know Jesus Christ. So find out what that means. For those of us that have chosen to be in Christ, to be a new creation, sometimes it's hard to remember that we're new creations, right? <laughs> um, sometimes the world around us gets us and we get frustrated, we, we forget what Christ has done for us. And Christ 
Jesus Christ is that perfect example of selfless love. Jesus Christ came down and gave himself so that we could be that new creation, so that we could have this ability to not put ourselves first and to remember that we are not in charge, that there is a God that loves us that's in charge of our lives and it's going to be okay. And again, that's hard to remember, but when, it, I don't know, for me, I've been in, going to church my whole life. It sounds cheesy at this point, but it's not. When you remember to look at Jesus and what he did for us, it becomes a lot easier. So I encourage you to do that this week. Remember that you're a new creation. Remember that you have this, you've made this choice to live life a little differently and follow um, the God and Jesus who loves us. I'm going to close us in prayer. God, we just love you. Thank you um, that you've given us this life, this new creation of a life. Um, and I just uh, pray that we would look to you to take advantage of that so that we can um, love you and love other people more than ourselves. Um, be with us this week. In your son's name, amen.